The Pat Kenny Show with Matter Private Network on News Talk. Well, now I'm joined by Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin, Luke O'Neill. Luke, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, we're going to talk about uh, resuscitating dead pigs' organs, and that's fascinating, yeah. the technology involved in that and what it might do for humankind and transplantation and so on. But before that, the return of polio in London. Yes, this is a slight disturbing story, but in a way, they're, they're detecting polio virus in the sewage system in London, and there's been reports of this. I think it's 116 uh, positive tests in the sewage in, nine, in 19 different sewage samples, several births, Camden, Hackney, and so on. But it's the, it's the vaccine, Pat, by the way. It's not the actual polio virus. There's, there's two types of polio vaccines. One is live, and one is called inactivated. And the live one, it's, it pre- prevents polio, but it spreads. That's the one they found in the sewage system. So the worry here is, it's not so much detecting it in the sewage, it might mutate. So polio, that, that vaccine is now p- potential to mutate into, into, into a more dangerous form if it's spread so widely, you see, is the concern here. Yeah. Now, it means that they must be routinely testing the sewage for all sorts of viruses. They are. That, be, that became a thing a few years ago, actually, including with COVID, by the way. You can pick up a sewage sample, use PCR, this very sensitive test, and see if you can detect whatever the virus might be. And they're constantly doing that the whole time now. And what this is doing, actually, is it's showing how that can work. You can spot, like, an outbreak or kind of a virus that's in the community using sewage samples. But as I say, strangely enough, this is the live vaccine they've detected in the sewage. Now, in uh, the, the UK, I don't know when they stopped vaccinating for polio because it's been effectively eliminated but they used what is it the inactivated vaccine the famous sulk vaccine that many of us have had there's two types as i say there's the inactivated one and there's the live one they both protect very well by the way in africa they still use the live one it's very effective you know Uh, but the thing is yeah we we had mass mass polio vaccination we still have it in ireland the trouble is this is evidence that the rate of polio vaccination has gone down a bit in london you see and now you might pick up this live vaccine off someone basically and now now you're asymptomatic by the way so there's no evidence of polio in london let's make that clear by the way there's no paralysis and no disease because it seems to be the vaccine that's spreading among people, you know, and it doesn't cause disease for obvious reasons. That's in the sewage system is what they've detected. So it means that people who have been vaccinated with the live virus have, you know, pooed in London and it goes into the sewage system. That's exactly And uh, I mean, they've nothing to feel guilty about because Not that's just the way the body works. And it must be spreading though, but it must, that, that live vaccine must be going into other people because it's now being detected so semi-widely in the sewage system. And now we'll protect those people who get the vaccine, by the way, it's fine, you know, but the concern again is mutations. So that's why they're saying now, please turn up for your vaccine. And they're, they're just embarrassed. A million kids will now be vaccinated, they hope, in London. Uh, one to nine year olds over the next four to six weeks, the GPs are being mobilised. Now, if we detect the same thing here, we may see an upsurge. In, now, of course, you should be taking the polio vaccine anyway, you know, it's kind of an awareness thing in some Ways, and do we standard. still do that routinely for children? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's still standard, so that's good. And, and, and I mean, the, the goal is to eliminate polio. By the way, and the, we're almost there with lim- eliminating about Africa. Recently, about a year ago, declared they'd eliminate polio, and again, that's because of the vaccine. Yeah. Now uh, we know that we eliminated uh, effectively smallpox. Uh, there might be. I don't think there's any of it out there really in any uh, no. outbreaks. But then monkeypox comes along. That's right, that's right. Yeah, that, that came along next, didn't it? Yeah, and, and of course, the smallpox vaccine protects against monkeypox, which is great. So again, I think there's heightened awareness of viruses, isn't the fact as a COVID, basically, it's in the, in the news more, mm-hmm. and the monkeypox outbreak reflects that. And then this polio story is another one. Now, talk to me about um, multiple vaccinations, because, you know, people are not picking up on their boosters that they should. Is, is Antifax feeling growing? 
in any quarter. I don't know, but there is some evidence for that. And certainly th- this may be one reason for this London outbreak, but parents are more reluctant to vaccinate anyway because of all this informa- misinformation that's out there, you see. And there's evidence for this in countries of the vaccination rate going down for regular vaccines. And that would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? Can you imagine if polio comes back, Pat? That was a devastating disease. You, you and I would remember it. Paralysis, you know, horrible disease, yeah. you see. And the vaccine prevents it. So, so if people aren't using these standard vaccines, that means these diseases may begin to come back and we'll take a massive step backwards, you see. So again, we've got to keep the message there. These are great vaccines. Please take the vaccine you're offered at, yeah. at all times. Um, older listeners would remember a campaign collecting for Kappa Hospital using uh, a little lad, and he was known as Little Willie, and he was pictured on the collection boxes with calipers and all the rest yeah. of it. It was something that was very real in communities. Extremely real, yeah. And we know lots of famous cases. Um, Ian Jury, remember him, Pat? He, yeah. he, he caught Injury polio the in, in a swimming pool, you see. And there were outbreaks of polio. Someone, someone was seen as a fearful time for people back in the 50s because it was in the water, remember? And swimming pools were sources of infection and, and parents would stop their children going out in the summer even, you know, until the vaccine came along to prevent it. It was a very terrifying mm-hmm. disease. Hence, I guess, it hit the headlines because people remember how, how bad polio was. Yeah. Now, talk to me about when you get multiple vaccinations. I mean, if you're going overseas uh, to some of the tropics, you're told you have to have this one, that one and the other one. And then uh, you might uh, want to get your booster for COVID and uh, the flu is coming again, we know, and they've had a bad situation in Australia with it. Um, I mean, can you have as many vaccinations as you like you in can. any given yeah. period? Because yeah, people think you're overloading with vaccines and no. your, your body can't cope with well, the vaccines. Well, in the natural world, Pat, your body is bombarded by tens of different pathogens all the time. As you, as you and I talk here, we could, yeah. we could be being exposed to two or three bacteria viruses and our immune system is well able to handle different ones. Can you imagine if your immune system only do one at a time? We'd soon <laughs> die, wouldn't we? You know? So when you give multiple vaccines, you're mimicking the natural situation with multiple challenges. So again, there's no fear about using multiple vaccines. And of course, we are we do combine vaccines in children yeah. to make it more convenient, you see. There's no fear there. Okay, so the, the reality is that our bodies, our uh, immune systems are constantly battling. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like those things from outer space that are bombarding us that we don't see. That's right. Yeah, there. That, that's exactly right. Yeah, you have the massive diversity in the infectious world that our immune system is well able to handle. Equally, it can handle multiple vaccines. Okay, now let's move on to this uh, science of resuscitating pigs' organs. Yeah, this, this, is, this again is mind-blowing in a way, Pat. So now, I've been following this closely for the past two or three years. Uh, the trick here is, if you die, can you get resuscitated? That's the simple goal, for obvious reasons. And we have things like CPR, don't we? You know, We've got ventilators, and that can be used as well. Uh, but now, these guys in Yale, get this, they've managed... A, a pig was dead for an hour, right? An hour dead. Yeah. They could perfuse the pig with a special solution, and the organs came alive again. Isn't that incredible? The heart began to beat. The liver began to make a thing called albumin, which livers do. The kidneys began to work again. So they've basically managed, it seems anyway, to resuscitate a dead pig with multiple organs. Now, it is remarkable that the pig was lying there for an hour, dead. Yeah. <laughs> and this new technique, it's called Organ X, by the way, a very clever system, has brought these organs back, you see. Now, it didn't bring the brain back. Let, let's get that clear, because that could be really strange, I guess. You know, yeah. the, the brain didn't come back, but the organs But did, did they try to bring the brain back? Now, in a different protocol, they managed to restore some brain function with a different solution, basically, than the one they used in Organ X. That, that was a pig that was dead for four hours, by the way. They perfused the brain, and it began to come back a little bit, not fully, but it began to come back a bit. With, with this Organ X, it was, it was a different protocol, basically. They, they didn't bring the brain back, but they brought the organs back, which is a big advance when you think of it. Sure. It? Yeah, it does mean that maybe if this also works with humans, that organ transplantation, that the those deadlines for the organs to be transplanted, to be removed yeah. from the, the accident victim or whatever, and get them into uh, the 
recipient yep. that that time could be extended because of the infusion of the solution. Yeah, that's that's the first benefit. The immediate benefit is increasing the number of organs for transplant. They reckon it'll increase it if it translates into human by 20%, which would be tremendous. Can you imagine a lot more kidneys and livers available to be transplanted? That, that's the first outcome from this research. The second is, if you had a stroke, could you restore the brain? Because that, that would have killed part of the brain, you know, and can you bring that part back? A heart attack, some of the heart dies. Again, can you imagine if you get someone who had a heart attack, use this technique and uh, an hour later or you might bring the heart back, you see. So it can be used in, in, a, in a medical context so, as well. So, so where someone might have catastrophic, what appears, uh, brain damage after a stroke, that if you could infuse them under the second protocol with this yeah. uh, material that it might actually get the brain fixing itself. It might precisely. And the reason why this didn't work for the brain, Pat, by the way, was uh, they used 28 degrees centigrade solution. That's a bit too cool, it seems, to bring the brain back is one idea. There are lots of anaesthetics in the solution. They, they, they didn't want the brain coming back. That could be very disturbing for the pig. It suddenly becomes awake again. So, so the, the method they used wasn't designed to bring the brain back. Now, they're tweaking it, of course. And, that, and previously, having done it, they think they might be able to restore brain function as well, which, as you say, in stroke would be the immediate application there. But who knows? Again, can you imagine if someone that comes in off a traffic accident and two hours and they've been dead for two hours or whatever, you can bring them back, wouldn't that be tremendous? So again, there's lots of optimism that this is a step in the right direction yeah. to, now, to bring now, people back. We're always told that it's, uh, you know, the lack of oxygen to the brain that can cause uh, brain damage, for example, in children if they have misadventure at birth and so on. So uh, when the brain came back, it might not be the same brain. That, that's the concern. Yeah, I think the brain bit's a long way off because there's all kinds of ethical concerns there, isn't there? The first application will be organs either in transplant or to bring back organs that have been damaged, say, I think. What got me about this, Pat, was it's a very elaborate paper. I read it last night in great detail. They did very clever what's called transcriptomics on all the organs. They measured every gene in the organs that came back. And lo and behold, all the repair stuff was up. All the repair mechanisms in your body was up. All the inflammatory markers that we work on, things think of IL-1 was down. And that was Everything made sense in Way. Basically, they, they stopped the inflammation, stopped the damage, and brought back repair. And the tissue could, even though it was dead for an hour, it could repair itself, you know, and then get restored. So it's an incredible piece of science in many ways. It looks yeah. fantastic. Now, it's always been said that w- with the exception of, you know, something really disastrous like a, an explosion, uh, an improvised uh, explosive device on the side of the road that it really destroys uh, the body entirely, that death is a, a process rather than a moment. Yeah, that's right. Might be harder to define death. That's that's the big challenge. I mean, the, uh, if you read about this in the media now, a lot of ethical questions come up immediately. How do you know someone's dead or not? Can you get permission to remove someone's organ when you might restore them, you see? So that might limit organ availability in a paradoxical yeah. way, you know. So again, all these ethical questions are coming up. How do you legally define death, you see, is the question now. Will that legal definition, like brain dead was one example, yeah. you know, how do you legally say someone's dead or not and their relatives mightn't be too happy if this isn't used? So there's a few ethical knock-on yeah. consequences from this. Anyway, we're a little bit ones. away for this being applied to humankind. Well, I'd say that's speeded up. This has caused a massive amount of excitement, you know, and the Yale scientists deserve a lot of praise for doing this, you see, and it's very systematic. The science behind it's superb. So I can see it becoming as important as CPR. Remember when that was invented, that was a great advance, you know. This could be as good as that, you see as though. Now, uh, apropos of our first topic about uh, polio and the sewage system in uh, London, a question from a listener, an intriguing question, because it applies just not to the, the question involved, but maybe to other substances. Have a listen to this. I am on HRT and I use a gel that I rub into my skin. Then I wash my hands, uh, 
Yeah. So the residue is obviously going into the sewage system. Should we be worried, as so many are on HRT? That's a really good question, Pat. Yeah. They're finding drugs in sewage, by the way. You can also use uh, sewage to see where people are using cocaine, strangely, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a ranking of different cities based on cocaine use. It's incredible, based on the sewage. No, but for so example, I would use occasionally for an old sporting injury, I might use uh, Voltrol, yeah. which is an anti-inflammatory. And, you know, then you wash your hands. So anti-inflammatory. It could, it could go in. And in fact, the HRT is a hormone-based thing that might affect things in the, in the environment. Now, the, the toxicology guys are all over this, by the way. They're watching this closely, trying to see if there's a problem with that, for instance. But it's a very important question. In other words, everything can end up in the sewage and then kind of be harmful in various ways. So it's a really, really good thing to, to consider. Yeah. If there's all this um, stuff in the sewage, though, you've got the, the, the sewage bacteria working away and you've all these things and they're all battling it out. They are. <laughs> a, a sewage, but it, sewage is fascinating, but I hate to say it, but it is for all kinds of reasons, you know. Um, enough of this potty talk. <laughs> Luke O'Neill, <laughs> Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Matter Private Network. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.